Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Anita J and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater out here in Massachusetts. And today is Wednesday, March 28, 2018, and this is the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. Today we'll be reading from the big book and we are now in the chapter We Agnostics on page 44, beginning with the second paragraph, which starts, to one who feels, reading through two paragraphs, ending with, you need not be disconcerted. And you will, everyone will be commenting on both paragraphs. Today's readers are, for the 12 Steps, Deborah L., the 12 Traditions, Jen M., and readers of the text this morning are Deb W., Hoodie R., and Rachel N. M. The share ID numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, March 27th, are, for the 7 a.m. meeting, 11215. 11,215. And for the 10 a.m., 11, 11, 11,217. 11217. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We're self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And I will now ask Deborah L. to read Always 12 Steps. Hi, this is Deborah L. in New York, 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, 
humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive readers and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thanks very much, Deborah L., And I will now ask Jen M. to read OA's 12 Traditions. Thank you. This is Jen M. from Iowa and the 12 Traditions of OA. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Number three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Number four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Number five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the overeaters who still suffer. Number six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Number seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Um, OA should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Number nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create special service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Number 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Number 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Number 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you for letting me help. Thanks. Thanks very much, Jen M. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we're discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, 
everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. So today we are resuming our study of the big book and we are on page 44 and we'll be reading two paragraphs. The second paragraph, uh, which begins to one who feels and through through you need not be disconcerted and all the comments can be focused on both of them. So I've asked um, Deb W. to get us going. Good morning, Deb. Good morning, Anita. This is Deb W. Recovered in Oklahoma. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible, but to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. To be doomed to an alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. At first, some of us tried to avoid the issue, hoping against hope we were not true alcoholics, but after a while we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Perhaps it is going to be that way with you, but cheer up something like half of us thought we were atheists or agnostics. Our experience shows that you need not to be disconcerted. Um, I guess there were several words that kind of caught my eye in this reading, and the agnostic and the atheist um, always, you know, when you think about it and you're, you know, you're a believer or believers have something to say to agnostics or atheists, it tends to be, uh, I think, a bit judgmental, um, you know, because uh, there are so many believers in God. And yet those of us who came to program, and I've spoke to many of us who have had a God in our life, all our life, and yet you know, there is a, a block, a blockage there. And no, of course not. We're compulsive eaters, so this power greater than us was not working anyway. I like the big book says um, agnostic temperament. And there have been so many areas in my life that I acted as though I was agnostic, even though I claimed to know God. Um and, uh, yeah, the Christian experience wasn't working. And doomed in my dilemma, um, I, I had to have uh, continue like I am or, or have a spiritual basis. And, and basis meaning underlying support, a principle, a base, a core. And, um, you know, I, I avoided the need for God um, because I was told growing up that I could do anything that I I wanted to do if I set my mind to it. Well, it showed up. It showed up in my eating. It showed up in a life that was all out of control. It showed up in years wasted trying to contemplate or or control or deny this problem with food and the ups and the downs of the clothes that I would buy and and the the little bit of time that I stayed um, at, at a certain size. You know, we have to find a spiritual basis. And I, and the big book supports us in when it goes on page 55 and it says, we're fooling ourselves deep down inside of us. 
um, is a fundamental idea of God, you know. And then it drops down to say, um, uh, let's see, it says faith in some kind of God was a part of our makeup. Now, how could it be a part of our makeup and we don't even, we believe that it's not there or we we don't realize how essential it is for us to to um to acknowledge it and and figure out how to access it and how to use it so those are the things i was thinking when i was reading those two two paragraphs no this is the wonderful thing about the po- program that anyone can find recovery from col- compulsive eating uh no matter what they choose to call this power greater than us um thank you Thank you. Thanks very much, Deb W. Who else would like to comment on those second and third paragraphs? Katie G. Barbara from Boston. E. This is Katie Barbara K. Okay, wait Holly a minute. Katie, wait, wait a minute. No voices. Katie G. Um, uh, well, gosh. Larry Barbara. K. But Barbara, you were number two there, Barbara. Larry and Polly. All right, who else? Two or three more. Melissa C. Melissa C. Nancy P. And Nancy P. All right, that's perfect. Off we'll go. Let's start with Katie G. followed by Barbara E. Good morning, Katie G. Good morning, Miss Anita. May I be heard? Yes. Wonderful. Katie G. starting her timer in Boston, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. Ah, best chapter ever. It keeps getting better. Love it, right? So, like, here I am. My life as a compulsive overeater, anorexic, bulimic is disaster. I'm in despair. I'm on my hands and knees. I'm throwing up in downtown Boston because I took Ipecac because I binged my brains out. I am doomed to a food-addicted death. Like, this is it, Katie G. You're, you're going to die. Or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. And it's hysterical, right? Because... I come into the rooms, I'm desperate, dying, and doomed, I'm going to die, please help me, tell me what to do, I'll do anything, and the spiritual basis, it's like, okay, well, what kind of spiritual basis are we talking about here, right? And then what what settles in? Contempt prior to investigation, and what is the one thing that will always fail to keep me in everlasting ignorance? He, uh, Herbert Spencer promises us, it is contempt prior to investigation. Um, I love how the, you know, Bill just kind of brings us in and, um, I don't know, maybe pokes fun at us a little bit, right? Like, I'm going to die and and I'm investigating. I need to research. Is this going to be right for me? And, you know, the best part about step two is I don't have to figure it out. Like, if you're out there trying to figure out who your God is, stop. The only thing that ever worked for me was to know, like, cheer up. Something of, like a lot of us were atheists or agnostics. You don't need to be worried or rattled or bewildered. All you need to know is everything you've been doing is wrong and broken. That's all I was convinced of, right? And and if you're not convinced of that, go try some more food. Like no skin off our nose, right? But what I knew is that in a state 
of, you know, binging my brains out, the way I was living my life was not working. And I had to find a new way of living, 110%. It was drastic. As one of our fellows says, there's only one thing I have to change, and it's absolutely everything. You know, and I came to in the rooms as an abstinent woman and was also doomed to a food-addicted death because you know what was killing me? Abstinence. I couldn't do it anymore. I, I didn't have any tools on how to live abstinently. I didn't know how to have relationships. I didn't know how to pay my bills because I spent my whole life in food and now I was abstinent, but that was it. And what is so unbelievably extraordinary, good job, God, good job, Bill, is that this spiritual way of life is going to revolutionize. But get out of your head. It doesn't matter. All you need to know is there is a God, and guess what? You're not it. And neither am I, which is the great news. I'm going to keep showing up one day at a time, and with that, I do pass. Thanks so much. Get out of your head. That's perfect. All right, Barbara E., followed by Larry K., Good morning. Thank you so much, Anita, for your service and everyone else who's in the room today with me. I was not an atheist, nor really when I think about it was I, was I an agnostic. I grew up in a, as a cultural Jewish child in a cultural family. That meant we went to synagogue twice a year. My mom could wear her mixed stole. We did not talk about God. God didn't enter into our picture as a family. We did have family dinners together on Friday with the grandmas in tow. So there was that element. But why did I come into OA? Not to find God, not to find a spiritual power. I came in to lose weight. I worshiped at the altar of my refrigerator. It had a nightlight in it. I knew it was my God. Someone said to me at that first meeting I went to, you do have a God. It's food. That's why you're here. That's why you weigh over 200 pounds. You can't stop eating. I could not stop eating, and I couldn't quit once I wanted to. I was without a personal concept of God, and I heard the term Fake it till you make it. Sounded awfully hypocritical to me. But I was told also, eventually, you would come to believe. Trust in the process. Stay. But my hubris, my inflated image of my power, couldn't accept the thought that this book and you tell me I need a God, or at least that I wasn't God. And until I believed in my inner ear of my heart that I needed a spiritual experience to keep from going back to the food, I knew I was doomed to do it over and over and over again. And I simply could not do that. Is there a reason to be honest? Even if we thought we cared mostly about being honest, I wanted what you had. That was the truth. I wanted to keep eating, but not show the effects of it. I had to give up. I had to realize that without some kind of power, I was doomed. I had to find a power outside myself that would help me access that power to relieve my mental obsession and the allergy. 
because I was abstaining from life in every sense. I was isolating. I wasn't there for my children. I wasn't there for my husband. All I could think about was food. I could smell it when I wasn't near it. I could taste it and I'd salivate when I wasn't Mm. near it. And the time is up. I pass. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks a lot. Larry, followed by Polly. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Anita. Uh, Larry K. Recovered. You know, I was um, reminded this morning, uh, as I was reading this paragraph, you know, um, of a story. So to be doomed in alcoholic death or to live on a spiritual basis are not always easy alternatives to face. I'm reminded of the story of the boiling frog. You ever heard that Mm -hmm. story? The boiling frog is a fable describing a frog being slowly boiled alive. And the premise is that if a frog is put suddenly into a boiling, uh, into a, into a boiling uh, pot of water, it's going to jump out. But if the frog is put into tepid water, which is then brought to boil slowly, it will not perceive the danger and it will be cooked to death. It'll never get out of the pot. And for many of us, we didn't arrive here with the perception that the water was boiling. And had we done so, we may have jumped into another pot labeled spiritual solution. I know an individual who was faced with this dilemma, you know, a choice between a certain alcoholic death and a life on a spiritual basis. Well, well guess, guess which one he chose. Did he go left? Did he go right? Did he choose more booze or or more higher power, as they say? Well, he chose death. He was 54. He he stepped into the ring with a power greater than himself, and rest assured it wasn't a spiritual power. And I I suppose he, he, he got in the ring and he jabbed a bit and he chucked and he jived and he maybe went into the old uh, rope-a-dope defense to preserve his energy during the match. I'm not sure what round he made it to. But at some point, uh, alcohol delivered a crushing blow, and it was lights out for this guy. And it's a good lesson for me to respect my opponent. See, by the grace of God, I've been given the good sense not to even step into the ring. See, the big book is telling us we need to know that we're outmatched. And false pride tells me, get into the ring. You might just win this time. And the steps when worked in sequence that they're going to enable us to, to no longer want to get into the ring. See, we don't want to get into the ring and that's nothing short of a miracle. I don't want to be the, the frog as the waters slowly turned up. I didn't get here desperate enough. We have to find that desperation so that we, we don't get boiled alive. So good reminder for me with that. I pass. Thanks. Thanks very much, Larry. Uh, Polly, followed by Melissa. Hi, this is Polly B. Can I be heard? Yes. Is it Polly B? B is in boy. Polly B is in boy. Yes. Thank you, okay. Anita. Great. I'm grateful to be a recovered compulsive eater in North Carolina, and this is one of my um, my most mutilated paragraphs in my big book because. Uh, you know, and, and I'm kind of glad it is that I have to pay attention to it once more. And I, there was not another time before today when I read this paragraph and didn't have a question mark. I um, 
I thought I knew why I had been so resistant to believing in the higher power. I spent 15 years in another program sitting on the stool, the fake it till I make it, and I might be willing someday to believe in a higher power, but I didn't get off that stool. And when I came into OA rooms two years ago, I thought I was really desperate. I was really desperate, but it took me a long time to get desperate enough. And that was five months ago. And I was pretty much as depleted as I could have been mentally, emotionally, physically. And I had no, I only had those two choices, door number one or door number two. And I had to get that desperate to realize I wanted to live or I wanted to live one more day. And and that there was a solution that might give me the tools and recovery in order to live. And so I grabbed that life preserver and held on and had a recovered sponsor who held on and would not get let go and just told me to kick, kick till I got recovered. And only then did I realize what the root of my fear had been about believing in a higher power. And that was that there'd come a time when I was even more desperate than five months ago and higher power wouldn't be there. And I'd be have failed one more time at the biggest test I ever tried to take. But what recovery means to me today is that I will never have that question. My higher power won't be put to that test because I've already had big enough tests to prove and show me day after day higher powers everywhere around me in the universe and most importantly inside me and there's no rope because higher power is there. I don't need to hold on out of desperation. I can recenter and grow that connection and hopefully be able to give others the gift I was given and I will pass with that. Thank you, Anita. Thanks very much, Polly. Uh, Melissa, followed by Nancy P. Good morning, Melissa. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. Thank you, Anita, for your service. Um, Yeah, so, you know, um, coming to meetings, um, there was a while, to me it sounded like people were crazy. This was a cult. You would, like, all drink the Kool-Aid, and you were using words like HP, higher power, you know, power greater than me. And it sounded really, it sounded hokey. It it didn't sound believable. It sounded um, like you were, like you were under some sort of a spell. And, um, you know, but in, when you're in enough pain, <laughs> like I was in enough pain, I would come in and out. So I would come in and um, I hear that. And, and then I would get a little, you know, abstinent. And so I'd start to feel a little better, and then I quickly disregarded that, like, spiritual piece. And guess what? You you know, for someone like me who's doomed, hopeless, I couldn't stay abstinent very long without the rest of it, you know. So the revolving door, the coming in and out, the in and out, by the last time I came, you know, I was beaten down enough. It was like, okay, if if this is a scam... If this is some sort of a cult, um, I've got no other choice left, you know, because um, 
my life, you know, I was like I was living in a cult anyway. I was just, uh, you know, under the control of McDonald's and Dunkin' Donuts. That was my, that was my everything. And um, it didn't seem, you know, enough pain, enough suffering. It doesn't seem such a, a difficult choice to make, you know. And I think sometimes it's it's easier to work. I find it's easier to kind of work with people who have like no God concept to almost bristle at the word God, maybe because that was my perspective, than someone who kind of walks in believing that they have a really strong faith and a really strong connection with God, and yet they're eating compulsively. And so I, I sometimes I find those people are more difficult to kind of get them to follow the direction because they think they have a direction. And, um, you know, and so every time I think I have the direction, the right answer, um, I'm, I'm actually further from the truth. Um, you know, so, it, and it doesn't take, it's not a great um, leap of faith in the beginning. It's just, are you screwed? Are you pressed against the wall? Do you have no choices left? Great. Put the food down and let's get started. It, it's just that easy. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. All right, Nancy P., good morning. Hi, can I be heard? Yes, thanks, Nancy. Okay, so this whole thing about God, I feel like I've been in this program for so long, you know, and I had ample opportunity to listen respectfully, and um, I, but I didn't listen respectfully. I listened resentfully, and... You know, I've been, you know, and I was at a meeting last night and I said, raise your hand if you haven't been my sponsor. And I embraced and then rejected every possible iteration of what was offered and all the little factions of OA. I've done one thing after another, decided that was no good, gone on to something else, et cetera. And um, finally, 13 years ago, I had finished the process for the first time and treated it like a race, like I heard somebody else say, whoever wrote the longest won, and I felt so virtuous because I had written six nights a week for three years. And um, there's this, uh, on, elsewhere in the book, it says, you know, we had to come to it. God is either everything or he is nothing. And I said, you know, cue the, um, the church music. That was my, my gateway to believe. And, um, it, you know, it didn't, I have to say, it didn't take. I continued to eat for the next 13 years. Um, until, again, you know, we think it can't get worse, and it can, and my life did get worse, unbearably so. And finally, um, you know, I made the fateful phone call to my friend who told me about vision, and I studied these steps with a sponsor who is um, extremely um, focused, to put it mildly. I mean, she's, she's not warm and cuddly. She's She's driven by these, by her own recovery, and she instilled in me the same um, respect for the steps. And so I have to say that you know I was kind of squarely on this. I too was raised in a, if not an Orthodox home, certainly a respectfully Jewish home, you know, observant, and um, grew up in a town where there were four or five or six Jewish families. I mean, we had to travel two towns over to even go, but. You know, besides that, you know, I, I had all the trappings. I had all the trappings of what my religion offered. I had OA. My mother came into OA in 1966. So, and I joined myself in 1971. 
you know, and um, nothing worked. I can tell you nothing worked until I decided to do these steps as they're laid out. And I was on, you know, fat, dumb, and happy, fat, dumb, and miserable on the couch, you know, like resentful of all these people that seemed to be serene and working, you know, working a program. And their lives were awesome. And I just thought, oh, they must spend so much time doing it. And I just can't do that because I want to, this, the whole point is to live life and not spend all your time. And I can say that now, today, and I'll wrap up with this, today I spend about 75% of the time that's left over after I've slept, worked, and taken care of my family. Whatever's left after that, 75% of that time is spent making phone calls to newcomers, doing my 10th step, doing my nightly inventory, you know, reading the big book thinking about it, praying and meditating, and then the mm-hmm. rest of it is, is what I spent on everything else, and I have never been happier. So everything, everything, everything changed once I made those decisions, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thanks very much, Nancy P. All right, I'm opening it up again. We're on page 44, the second and third paragraphs. Monica T. Monica. Leah F. <coughs> Leah S. Lori W. Lori W. Nancy Lassia R. Leah M. Wait. Okay. Just a minute. I've got name. Let's see. Nancy H. And um, Leah M. And who was that other one? Basia R. Lori W. It was Laura. No, I have Lori. I have. Monica, Leah S, Lori W, Nancy H, Leah M, but there was somebody before Leah. Pete B. Was it you, Pete? <laughs> okay, Pete B. All right, well, let's get those three. I'm, I mean, six. I'm, let's see if we, if we have time for one or two after that. Monica T, followed by Leah S. Good morning, Monica T. Good morning, Anita. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the chapter, we agnostics, we without knowledge, you know, um, thought I had lots of knowledge coming into these rooms, but how was your way working for you, Monica? It wasn't. Now you're telling me the solution is a spiritual solution. I need a God greater than me. I need some type of power greater than me. Yeah, boy, make the hair stand up on my neck. But, you know, to be doomed to an alcoholic death, which is step one, or to live on a spiritual basis, step two, are not always easy alternatives to face. So here's the, here's I'm facing, you know, door number one and door number two. And notice there's no door number three. How free do you want to be, Monica? Hmm, how free do you want to be? I got two choices. I either stay in the food and continue being miserable or accept what they're saying here and give it a shot. Do the steps, Monica. See what happens. You don't really believe? Well, look at it like a scientific experiment. What do you got to lose? Okay. I'll give it a shot because I'm desperate, because I'm scared, because I'm 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 miserable. I can't do this anymore. My way doesn't work. I'm not too sure about this spiritual idea, okay? And they're telling us it's okay 
don't worry. More than half of us didn't like this idea, didn't believe in God, didn't, weren't too sure about whether there is one or not. But though we're not trying to prove that there is or there isn't, we're just trying to get across to you, Monica, that you need something greater than you. Your way has not worked. And boy, did I try lots of ways. <laughs> and nobody else had been able to do it for me either. So if you're not too sure, making the hair stand up on your neck, I'm telling you, it's okay. I'm like, Do the work. That's what's going to make the difference. It doesn't make any difference what you think. It doesn't make any difference what you feel. It doesn't make any difference what you know about God. What's going to make a difference here? Are you taking the actions, working the steps? And that's what's going to lead you to this greater power. You know, and if your head hits that pillow tonight and you're abstinent, pause and think. Did I do this or did a power greater than me help me today? And when I'm not sure, I always pause and think, can I deny that something's been helping me all these years? And my answer is always no. I can't, I didn't, I can't I, you know, define, blah, blah, blah. But my answer is always no. I cannot deny there's something. And I'm going to keep going with that. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks very much, Monica. Leah S. and then Laurie W. Thank you so much. My name is Leah S., and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Brooklyn, New York. But it isn't so difficult. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. What's not difficult? My whole life, I was dieting. I was yo-yoing up and down, and always for a different occasion. So I did it consciously. I, I did this diet consciously in order to either fit into that dress or to, because the summer is coming and I'm too embarrassed, or because sometimes I was really, really sincere. I really want to lose weight. Um, But it was difficult. It was difficult because I made it difficult. It was in my mind. This is what this book is telling me, that everything is in my mind. I I was treating everything in, as a diet. Even this program when I came in and I was being uh, confronted with, with different philosophies, uh, you know, God and, 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 and make yourself a higher power and, and moral, uh, uh, you know, psychologies. What are they trying to make out of me? But then my sponsor said, just jump into the bandwagon and don't even philosophize about this whole thing. Just do it one hour and one day at a time. And it's not going to be so difficult. And you know what? I think, yeah, the first week was really, really tough. But I think the first hour was the one that made me made me come to the conclusion, you know what, there is hope. I can continue this another hour and another day. And gosh, another week, is that that how it went? And another month, is that how it went? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Everything that I have from becoming a... Uh, uh, a more, much more calmer person from uh, 
coming in as a very, very cynical person and becoming an authentic person from, from uh, oh, how many miracles. There are too much to list each day. So do it one day at a time. And don't philosophize because you're going to come to the uh, realization and to the intuitiveness of this program. Thank you for letting me share. I pass. Thanks very much, Leah S. Laurie W. and then Nancy H. Good morning. Thank you for your service, Anita. Go on. Great. This is Lori W. in Atlanta, Georgia. Compulsive overeater recovered by God's grace today. To one who feels he is an atheist or agnostic, such an experience seems impossible. But to continue as he is means disaster, especially if he is an alcoholic of the hopeless variety. Um, and it says, but it isn't so difficult. About half our original fellowship were of exactly that type. Um, and the good news is, if you think any of us has a monopoly or had a, a wonderful understanding and relationship with God when we came into this program, um, let's go ahead and shatter that myth. Because if we did, we would not have come into this program. Um, m- many of us come from religious upbringings and, and attended church um, growing up, or our family had some kind of uh, religiosity about it. And that wasn't enough. Um, and I felt going to church, I love my, my religion, um, but I felt like everybody else was getting it, but I wasn't. And I was just like in awe of their relationships with God, and I wanted that for myself, but I didn't know how to plug into it. And so I felt like the biggest sinner there, and I behaved in such a fashion. And uh, when I came into Overeaters Anonymous, um, yes, I do God. I was not atheist. I knew that he existed. I was um, kind of sort of agnostic maybe. I believed in God. I knew that he could do wonderful and powerful things for other people. I did not believe that he cared enough to do them for me. I did not think that he cared enough about my, my food that was on my plate or the desires of my heart or the problems in my life. Um, And I had to overcome that. And I overcame that working this program. I developed a relationship with God. My guide, um, my sponsor guide, um, has helped me to help my mind snap back that I can say in any situation, what would God have me to do? What would God have me to be? And um, that I learned in this program. I didn't learn it on the pews of the church. So anyone that is out there that thinks that they have a problem with God or they can't get it or didn't get it in church, it's okay. You're in the right place to get it now. That is how we're all getting it. That's how many of us have gotten it that do have it today. It's not been through the church. It's been through uh, working this program and developing a personal relationship with God. When I go to church, it's corporate. I bring the God of my understanding with me. We mix and mingle with God, the other people there with the God of their understanding. And that's what we do as worship. But for my day-to-day, moment-to-moment life, I've got to have my own connection to God. And that is what I've learned in Overeaters Anonymous. And that's what keeps the food at bay. That's what keeps me out of jail. Thank you so much. 
keeps me out of jail from from hurting people, and it keeps me out of the insane asylums from hurting myself. And so stick around. You'll get it. Do the work and keep coming back. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Lori. Nancy, followed by Pete B. Hi, this is Nancy H., compulsive overeater, recovering in New Jersey. Thank you for your service. Um, it's good to be on the line. Um, <clears throat> so I think that it's it's kind of, I always um, think this, because I'm also a recovering alcoholic and been in OA for a while, but struggling with the recovery until doing a lot better recently with, with a sponsor working through the steps. Um, so I'm abstinent today by the grace of God and have been for several weeks. Um, I think that when I first came into AA, it was a little bit easier because of the severe consequences associated with drinking too much. So the idea of believing in a God kind of um, was was easier to say, okay, God, you know, help me. I'm, I'm powerless over this alcohol. But when I look back, the truth is I was a functioning alcoholic. I was pretty young when I came in, and I was not... Um, I was not really desperate. I mean, I'd just gotten married. I'd just gotten my CPA. We moved to New Jersey. So something, though, at that point caused me to, because they told me to, get on my knees and ask God for help to stop drinking. And I had a spiritual experience at that moment. Um, So coming to OA, though, again, turning my food over to a sponsor and therefore a higher power on a daily basis. Um, it seemed it seemed in the beginning like why would God be concerned about what I ate? Um, but it's not that. It's living on a spiritual basis, like every day. And the more I got into OA, the more I realized I wasn't really working my program to the degree that I needed to to be really sober and sane. In other words, not drinking, not drugging, but not necessarily living on the same basis. And because OA takes, I have to think about it every time I eat, um, it actually is forcing me to have a even a more closer relationship with God. And it's working. Like, you know, I just say, God, help me with this. I pray before my meals. I say, God, help us to sustain me to my next meal. And I'm so, so grateful for a vision for you because it really helped to open up the big book and, and the steps in a way that I had not been working them before. So I think that's all I have. I have a little bit of a cold and a cough, which is always a danger for me when I'm sick. I don't want to, I don't want to call in my food. I don't want to think about the program, but I know that I just need to do it just for today to stay sober, sane and abstinent, work my program just for today and um, this cold and cough, whatever it is, will pass. So thanks for letting me share. Thanks very much, Nancy H. Hi, could you just tell me Maureen's last initial, the one that just shared before her, just her initial? It wasn't Maureen. It was Lori W. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. All right. Pete B. and then uh, Leah M. Good morning, Pete. Thank you, moderator. Can you hear me? Yep. Uh, good morning, everybody. My name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today by God's grace and mercy, and I'm in uh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I came into OA 
Um, I was doing things with food that I learned how to do in OA, you know, like, like, like abusing food. I was doing things that I heard people, you know, talk about in their drunkologue about what they did with food. And, 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 and I was doing those things. I was like in complete and total desperation. And I, uh, in disbelief, got on my knees and asked to God that I didn't believe in nor understand to remove the obsession to, to compulsively overeat. And that obsession was removed. And you know what? There's nobody in OA or outside of OA that could talk me out of or make me believe that that was anything other than grace. That there's just, you know, my experience is that I was, I was obsessed and that obsession was relieved. You can't talk somebody into the idea that God is going to save them. It just doesn't happen that way. It's desperation that drove me to look for God, to look for, for, for a power greater than myself to remove the obsession. That's why I always, I, I, I'm always amazed and I find it myself. I'm, I'm always looking for the most eloquent way to position it with this next sick, sick and suffering compulsive reader. How am I going to tell them about this concept? What's the best delivery? You know what? There's no delivery. Faced by a self-imposed crisis I could no longer postpone or evade, I had to come to the conclusion that God is either everything or he's nothing, right? If I'm having, if I'm struggling with that, I'm misinformed about the condition. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I haven't, I haven't swallowed the, the, the fatal, progressive, incurable nature of this disease. And I'm holding on to the fact that some human power, some group, my sponsor, some other sponsor, some other meeting is going to save me. That if I could just adopt the code of morals, if I could just follow this program without having to concede to my innermost self that I have this condition, um, that I will be okay. I hold on, you know. So, you know, I think it's great that we're all figuring out different analogies and different eloquent ways to position it. But, you know, basically... You know, faced by a self-imposed crisis, I could no longer postpone or evade. Like, I can't talk you into God, and you can't talk me out of God. Uh, we just have to arrive at that. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, PP. And Leah M., good morning. Good morning, Anita. Thank you. Okay, so it was January 19th, 1987, and I'm standing in a lock uh, facility, uh, with a plastic wristband around my left wrist, and uh, you know, trying to <laughs> intellectually wrap my brain around what God is, and a recovered alcoholic of more than twenty years, ex-marine, said to me, uh, "Well, um, you know, did you notice the plastic uh, band around your wrist? And I suggest you turn your life over to whatever will take it." Um, you know. <laughs> There was no door number three for me. I was 23 years of age. I had eaten myself basically with a fork, knife, and a spoon into my grave. This disease exhausted me. Uh, pain was the delivery. Yep, yep, 
pain was the delivery. The disease kept, uh, <laughs> my older brother used to do this to me, uh, but the disease kept grabbing my arm behind my back and lifting it ever so higher, notch by notch, until you could hear my bones crack. Uh, because the disease beat me up. You know, it just... Uh, it, it showed me uh, very clearly that I wasn't going to be able to rely on any of my efforts, however driven they were, on any knowledge that I had accumulated over the years in compulsive overeating, uh, on any intentions that I had, on any intelligence that I could summon up on a day, or any of my willpower. You know, God came in when the resistance stopped, when I was when I was defeated, when I threw my hands up and said, I don't know what a God is, you know, I wasn't grown, raised in that, uh, you know, environment, it's n never really introduced to me, um, but, you know, the program of recovery, the disease, didn't try to prove the existence of God to me, it convinced me of the need for God, because the reality was the choices had narrowed down to either relying on some power greater than myself, or being doomed to a compulsive overeater's death, which I was very close to. So ironically, it was the food, the contents of cellophane bags and bakery boxes, more than anything else, more than anyone else's words, that readied this real compulsive overeater to embrace a spiritual remedy. Because the reality had been that food had been my friend, my confidant, my lover, ultimately my nemesis and my destroyer. Who was I going to turn to now? I had kept turning to substance. It was time to start turning to a relationship greater than myself. Dethrone the intellect in favor of God, that there was a reality higher than my intellect. How I, how I got to God, the 12 steps led me in that direction. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks so much. We have time for one two-minute share. Nessa R. R. Okay, whoever that was. Nessa uh, R. I think it was Vasa O. Go no, ahead, Vasa. R. Oh, Basia R. Go for it. Two minutes. Hi, everybody. This is Basia R. I used to go by Jen R, but now I'm going by my Hebrew name, Basia. Um, anyway, I wanted to talk about the um, the philosophies. I tried a lot of different philosophies, um, including uh, reading up on Stoicism. <laughs> But none of those things worked. And the main thing that I had to give up, the main philosophy, was this modern idea that we can be proactive and we can create our lives. We can be, active, we can be proactive in terms of accepting our higher power, but we don't create our lives. Our higher power creates our lives through us. And believing that I was the one who had to do everything kept me in the food for many, many years after I could have gotten out of it had I been listening to this program. But I was so convinced that, no, I had to do what all the success books say to do. Be proactive. Be proactive. Uh, you know, plan your day. Don't make any changes to your day. Um, you know, get up with, uh, you know, uh, with these plans and all of this stuff. No, there was no room for higher power in any of the things that I was doing. And so that's why they weren't, that's why they weren't successful is they were all based on my ideas. And that is the key philosophy for me that I had to give up. Um, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you. Would you spell Vasya and what state are you from? Um, 
Basia, B-A-S-Y-A, and I'm in New Jersey. B-A-S-Y-A, Basia R. from New Jersey, formerly Jen R. All right. Thank you. Thanks to everyone who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following. And the share ID for the meeting that we've we've just participated in is 11219, 11219. There's a lot to ponder in that this hour. We'll now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And please, Rachel NM, will you read a vision for you? Good morning. This is Rachel and M, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater and anorexic. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Pass.